podcast listeners. Very excited to share this episode with you featuring Lamar Pottinger, who's the assistant athletic director of the JT and Margaret Talkington Leadership Academy at Texas Tech University. Besides serving in this role, Lamar is heavily involved in other organizations such as the N4A as the chair-elect for the Student Athlete Development Committee, the NCAA Leadership Initiatives as a faculty member of this past year's Student Athlete Leadership Forum, as well as a participant in the Leadership Forum for Administrators, and Huddle Up as a trainer. Overall, Lamar is a true leader in the realm of student athlete development which can, vi- which can be visibly seen as soon as you meet him and also through the way he lives his life through his motto of DTBG, which stands for Determined to be Great. And he truly is great at everything he does. So tune in and welcome to the Jack of All Trades podcast. Episode 9 of the Jack of All Trades podcast. I am fortunate enough to be blessed to speak with Lamar Pottinger, who is well-known within the space of student-athlete development, contributing to multiple efforts within the NCAA, N4A, and Huddle Up. So, how's it going today in Lubbock today, Lamar? It's 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 like it's great, Jack. I'm actually in Chicago right now, where I'm originally from, for for about a week here. So just kind of working remote in my own space back in my hometown. So it's been it's been a good week so far. Man, that is awesome. Hopefully, hopefully you can get to go see some Cubs games and uh, <laughs> enjoy the uh, pizza there, and you know what's uh, good there. So that is fantastic. Um, so you know, one of the first questions in things that I wanted to bring up is you were a former student-athlete at Eastern Illinois. What a role has that had on um, you wanting to work in the space of student-athlete development? Yeah, when I was a student-athlete at Eastern Illinois, you know, it's a small FCS school there, so we we had opportunities to really be involved in, in our community in Charleston, Illinois. What student athlete development played there for me is really being heavily involved in our student athlete advisory committee SAC there. I was a part of the community engagement team. I was the vice president at one point and then I became president of campus and then our conference SAC, the Ohio Valley Conference. So just with those pieces there of having to make an event, email coaches, email staff, doing different projects within the Student Athlete Advisory Committee and within our athletics department, it really showed me that it prepared me for not only have a role in student athlete development, but it showed me that the importance of being in those extracurricular activities really helped develop me as an individual and kind of prepared me for my next step of having a graduate assistantship at Western Illinois University because then I had to work with SAC and do community events and kind of do the same things I was doing in SAC. So I really 
you'll you'll hear you know later on probably that I'm really big on on sack, but I'm really big on student athlete development because I know how much if it's done the right way, how much it can help um, you know a certain amount of, of student athletes really truly be prepared for that next step uh, in their in their professional careers. I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, so this episode is is about leadership, and it seems like since you stepped foot on campus at Eastern Illinois. You were um, born to be a leader, a natural born leader at that, you know, working all the way up to the conference office as a student athlete, as well as competing pretty well in the sport of track and field. Um, And, you know, before you got to Texas Tech as the assistant athletic director of the Leadership Academy there, uh, you have built two other leadership academies at previous stops within your career path at both Jacksonville University and uh, Old Dominion, which, you know, Old Dominion is a uh, FBS non-Power 5 school and Jacksonville University is an FCS school. Yeah. Now you're working in the Big 12 um, at a Power 5 school. So, you know, compared to, you know, where you're at right now and then the other two stops, both at Jacksonville and uh, Old Dominion, how were each of these experiences different and how were they similar? Yeah, I'll start by how they're, they're similar. You know, the, the process is similar, right? So just starting off of, you know, what is, what, what does this leadership academy look like at Jacksonville University? What does this look like at Old Dominion University? And then what does this look like at Texas Tech University? You know, one of the things I always try to emphasize to everyone in our industry that Texas Tech could be doing something phenomenal with their program there, but that doesn't mean it fits at another Power 5 school, maybe in the ACC or SEC, right? You have to figure out what works best for you at your institution and at that time. So I say the similarities is the process of figuring out, okay, what is what do I want to accomplish with this leadership academy, how is this going to impact our student athletes at a high level and being our student athletes, right? So at Jacksonville, our leadership academy there was had a lot to do with leadership, but it had a lot to do with career as well because we didn't have the resources or the time to split up two different types of programming. So we put about 20 students in this leadership academy, but it touched on leadership, it touched on career development, it touched on resumes. It touched on all those pieces there, but we, we deem this group as our leaders within our university and our athletics department through this academy, and they were recognized for that because of their leadership, but making sure we gave them more tools than just talking about leadership, right, making it go into career development, those pieces there. At Old Dominion, again, same process. What do, what do, what do the student-athletes need here at Old Dominion as far as leadership development? We had a good set up with our career fair and some of our career programming, so we didn't need to include that within this leadership academy. We need to make sure that we really emphasize on making them empowered to really uh, be leaders within their team, be leaders within their community, and get more involved. So that was our goal at Old Dominion there. And then at Texas Tech, now we have a leadership development course, and we have a career um, series that we have called Suited for Success. So at Texas Tech now, this is actual course for credit, three credits. Now I have 16 weeks to develop leadership and programming. So now it looks 
different here because now I get to dive a little bit more into some readings. Um, I can actually assign them homework, right, so that that way they get more of the active learning and kind of retain the information so we can go at a deeper dive with the class than what we did with Old Dominion with our Leadership Academy because we only met once a month. Um, and then obviously the obvious biggest difference is um, the resources at every level, which is obvious. At Jacksonville, it's, it's a lower resource um, institution there when it comes to this area. Old Dominion, I had a, a significant budget there that helped me do some, some neat things. And now Texas Tech, uh, being a part of the JT and Margaret Talking and Leadership Academy, we're fortunate enough to, to be endowed and have a good amount of resources to, to execute some things. But, yeah. Couldn't agree with that more. And, you know, that's one of the future trends within this uh, in, industry that we both love is the fact that a lot of student-athlete development, not just leadership, is turning into classes, which is great to see because the impact can be tremendous. But also one of the things I want, kind of wanted to point out was um, <clears throat> the impact that was had at both Jacksonville and Old Dominion was still very significant because of the fact that at the end of the day, it's just meeting the athletes at where they're at. So it seems to me like you did that very, very well. And the content that needed to be delivered was delivered in a effective manner. Yeah. But now you're working at Texas Tech and, um, you know, you're now an assistant AD, which is phenomenal to see. It's always great to see colleagues, you know, be promoted and doing excellent work within our space to really rise up the next generation. But you were recently hired there in this past um, August, last September range, and uh, now officially wrapped up, it seems like, since you're back home in Chicago, your first academic year there. So uh, what has been the biggest lesson learned for you from just your first year at Texas Tech? Yeah, two two biggest things I learned, Jack, this year. One, personally, is patience. Um, for me, I am very competitive. I'm very goal-oriented. I'm very adamant with getting results and getting things done at an efficient pace, right? I know there's a process for everything, but if I see things that I think, I, I believe, can be done at a certain pace or a certain amount of time, then, you know, there's no there's no really stopping me once I, once I feel that way. But I, I know being at Texas Tech is different than when I started at Old Dominion, just with the, the resources, the timing of things, how much buy-in we needed from coaches and staff. So really just making sure that I came in and, and was patient because, uh, you know, you always come in, you get jumpy, you want to change a lot of things, you want to implement all these pieces here. But I really had to sit back and, and challenge myself just to be patient, really evaluate what was going on, what was our next steps, what did I want to see happen this year versus next year versus in three years for not just programming but our entire department growing its staff and those pieces there. So personally, you know, one of the biggest things was just learning patience and, and trusting the process. The second biggest thing is just getting things done through people. Um, you know, we have a, a significant staff at Texas Tech and really honored and, and honestly privileged to, to have the team that we have at Texas Tech 
and fortunate. But just getting things through people. You know, at Jacksonville, I did everything <laughs> from uh, the attendance to the evaluations to the speakers to sometimes even even having to jump in and facilitate myself for some of those programs. And, and Old Dominion, a little bit similar there, had a little bit more help with an intern and a coordinator, but still had to really be hands-on. So, you know, being an assistant AD a, here and having staff that do a lot of things that I've done in the past was, was different for me, but really the biggest thing I learned out of that is just really how can you still get the same results that you want but through people now. And I think that's a big part of leadership is is you you, you really have at a high level of leadership when you can learn to inspire and motivate and empower others to get things done. And I, I know that's a big thing that I learned this year is just getting things done through my staff and then getting things done through different allies, whether it be an advisor or a director of ops or an assistant coach, really just making sure you utilize those relationships to, to really get some things done. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, you just pointed it at the fact that that is one of the big things with leadership because when people start to get elevated in their careers, they have to get accustomed to the delegation factor. And uh, the best way to do that is a leadership analogy that I like to use called the power of the rising tide um, mm. because there's a boat, but the boat's not going to rise without the water. So, so the leader themselves is is the water. And depending on what they bring every single day, it could be low tide or high tide, but at the end of the day, it better be high because if the performance of the team is supposed to be high, then the leader needs to lead that through and through, which it seems like you do with uh, the dream team back down in uh, Lubbock. So that's great to see. And then, um, you know, you've done so much, not just at Old Dominion Jack. Jacksonville and Texas Tech, but you've also done so much for the association that we both love, which is N4A. And um, with that, I think one of the huge testaments and stamps of approval and, and accomplishment was winning the Professional Promise Award this past summer at the National Convention. And, um, you know, that's given out to young professionals that have really um, shown a drive to promote the association and move it forward to, 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 new, to newer heights. How do you believe that winning that award has elevated your uh, career? Um, it's, it's, t- it's tough to, to, to evaluate that and how it's elevated my career. One one thing I try to strive to be, Jack is is very humble, but also very uh, hungry and competitive. And there, there's there's never uh, a, a perfect balance to that for me, because uh, I'm just naturally an athlete, naturally a track athlete in that aspect too. So sometimes we can kind of be individuals, but we know there's a bigger picture for the team as well. But in regards to to winning that professional promise award. I wouldn't have won it if my peers and colleagues didn't didn't vote on me and think of me in that aspect. So that that's a humbling experience there, just to know that this was voted on uh, from the the association and some of our folks in the industry and the membership there. So um, it was an honor, and I was really excited about it. I think how it has elevated my career is it just to me just solidified 
you know, who I was and what the work I was doing. You know, I'm, I'm very active, uh, you know, on social media and just making sure that I'm always marketing not only myself but everything that, you know, we're doing at the institutions that I'm at just so that we can continue to give exposure on a national level and show the great things that we're doing for our student athletes. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in our industry that are doing just as great things or even better than, than what I've done in my career. Uh, so I think it's, it's elevated just by just putting me in, in, in the forefront of, of some, some folks at a crucial time within my career, and then I go to Texas Tech a month later. So uh, just winning the award, I think the staple is who I am and what my work is and that other people see me doing that and they believe in it as well. So I was really, really honored. But I think it elevated my career just by me being able to accomplish that and be in front of a lot of my peers and then kind of moving forward uh, working at Texas Tech, I think solidified just, you know, my, my work ethic, not just from an external standpoint on what you see, but kind of what I'm doing on campus as well that everyone doesn't get to see on a daily basis. Right. And, you know, that is such a big thing too, because you can sometimes, um, since you're working at Texas Tech, you can sometimes travel down that uh, old town road and uh, try to get someplace. But uh, sometimes you're not going to be able to um, see it, but it could take longer than than what people want to have happen. But as long as you keep true to yourself, which it seems like you've been doing, and I, and I know that you've been doing um, – it will pay off. And, you know, some of the other things you were, you were able to do this past summer and this past year, it seems to have been quite the busy time for you. So before winning the uh, professional performance award from the N4A, um, you attended the NCAA's Leadership Institute, which is for athletic ad- administration. Um, and it usually is a few days before the national convention in the same exact town. So uh, what are some of the major takeaways that you received from attending that in- institute? Yeah, so the NCAA Leadership Institute is a, is a great program. What it does is it takes, you know, about 15 to 20 um, administrators, um, minority or, or female administrators at that and, you know, it's a week of intensive, really self-discovery, self-awareness from your leadership style, philosophy, and then how how can you go back on campus and really incorporate that within your leadership um, on campus. You know, major takeaways for me was really learning and, and honing in on my leadership philosophy when it comes to leading a staff growing others, being the best leader, but also knowing that you you have to be a manager at some times as well, right? So really, though, that was a major takeaway of, like, learning your leadership style and philosophy first and then knowing what your manager philosophy and style is too because you have to have both because you have to hold people accountable and drive results and expectations, but there's a way to do that within a leadership framework. Also, two big things that – took away was, one, the, the bigger picture, right? So knowing that we work for the institution, a lot of folks I know coming up 
talk about the department, 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 but as this institute, it really expanded us on, as especially now being in administration, you're working for the institute, you're working for the athletic department, but you're working for the institute institution that you're at. So what does that look like? Do you know the missions of the institution? Do you know the values there? Are they aligned with yours? Are they aligned with the athletic department? So really seeing the bigger picture, especially if the folks in this room want to become athletic directors, you have to know that now because now you have to look at other institutions that you aspire to work at at a senior executive level or AD level and know that that institution, that president has to align with you for you to be uh, an effective athletic director there. Um, and just really thinking of partnerships, collaborations, being very strategic and implementing your strategic plan. So all of those there, it was really, it was really high level, and I, I really enjoyed it. So we had year one last year, and we're actually going to have year two this year and, and graduate. It's a two-year program, and it's in Tampa this this year. So I'm really excited for that. Man, that that is awesome. And that is something that's so true because the – strategic vision and plan of the athletic department needs to correline with the, with the university and the student athlete development program and mission and values need to align with both of those things. Because at the end of the day, however cliche it is, athletics is the front porch of the, of, of the institution. Like people might not want to look at Texas tech, um, but now they do because of the fact that you guys played on played in the national championship. It just happens every single year. Um, and then, so before the national convention, you attended that, and now you're attending the second year this upcoming summer. Uh, you you won the professional promise award during the convention, and then a, a little bit afterwards you were named the uh, chair-elect for the Student Athlete Development Committee um, of N4A, which is second in command for those that don't know, and he's going to be taking over hopefully um, once our current chair is done with his term, which is Brent Sumler. So how has serving in that position been, and uh, what have you learned during that? Experience. Yeah, it's been a it's been a great experience thus far, and something I've wanted to do since I, I started getting involved with F4A. So it's, it's really cool to see it come to fruition here. Just the things that I've learned is there's so many people in our industry, Jack, that that just need guidance and assistance, right? And, and I was I was there myself, and I, I still am there. Uh, you know, I don't don't know everything in the world. Um, but just like yourself as, as a, a young and upcoming practitioner, there's a lot of folks in our industry that, that want guidance and help. And what I've learned through this committee is that, is that there's so much opportunity to pour into our other practitioners throughout the year than just during June and N4A. So just really sitting back and observing the different opportunities that there is for us to be engaged, whether it's on the monthly calls or the subcommittee calls that we have, really making sure that everyone that's involved with the calls is getting some type of growth or professional development, whether that's listening to a webinar or gaining some tips from another colleague or 
if it's really the the application and experience of being a subcommittee chair or being involved in creating a survey or creating the agenda, the minutes, whatever it may be. So just really looking at it as an opportunity for folks to get some type of other professional development that only takes, you know, 40 minutes a month, right, uh, you know, when we have our calls. So just really it's been cool to, to see those opportunities and I have a lot of ideas and, and, and plans for this upcoming year serving as chair that hopefully, you know, with the new structure of M4A and the leadership, it'll all align together and kind of make make another big wave for our industry to continue to move forward. Right, just keep on pushing up. And uh, that is something that's huge because it does only take 40 minutes and you get so much out of it. I mean, I, I've only been part of N4A for a little bit over a year and a half now, and the connections through N4A have been tremendous. And these types of conversations that even we're having right now, it's great for others to hear because some people are still afraid of the networking component, which needs to be able to be broken out of because that is one of the ways that you learn and you grow and you flourish. So, um, so here's another thing that you've been a part of. I mean, it just seems like you've been a part of everything. Uh, it seems like Lamar Pottinger, 2021, you know, United States president. Okay. Uh, um, you also work with huddle up, which is a organization that aims to end gender violence in sport. Um, why is this so important to you? Yeah, it does seem like I do do a lot, doesn't it, Jack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, though. That's, that's I like to stay busy. But for Huddle Up, it is, for those that don't know what Huddle Up is, kind of Jack went over it, but it's, a, it's an organization that, really emphasizes on gender violence and domestic violence and sexual assault. And we look at it from a leadership lens on being a bystander and using this topic and platform as a leadership topic and platform where it starts off with leadership to be able to have these, these tough or crucial conversations with others to make sure that we prevent domestic violence from happening. And from a leadership standpoint, again, uh, not only having the conversation, but taking some type of action within your leadership style, right? So everyone isn't the, the confrontational type, but what are some other ways that you can use your leadership and use your bystander intervention skills to prevent domestic violence? You know, why it's so important for me to do it is, honestly, I, I've had friends that have been through certain situations that, that connect with Huddle Up. And I just think it's really powerful that Jeff O'Brien and the Institute for Sport and Social Justice is making it an effort to connect this topic to sport and leadership. You know, the power of sport is is so awesome and it's so so powerful in itself that using this platform is really important for that. Obviously, the the conversation hasn't stopped and things haven't really stopped as well in the world, but I think I know that it's being decreased and I know that more conversations are happening. Um, and I just, I love the platform of it. You know, it's very interactive and a lot of discussions we have in there, we're not presenting. We actually don't even really have a PowerPoint. That we It's really discussion-based and really hands-on, active learning. 
And I know that, you know, that format these days is really, really good for people to have some tangible takeaways and really be active during that space. So it's really important for me because that's just like my style of of doing things. And it's, it's, like you said, another form of leadership, being able to be a part of that organization so people can see it, that I take this topic and this area serious, but also showing that, you know, there's a lot of things that we can accomplish through the power of sport and and leadership. Yeah, and, you know, one of the testaments of Huddle Up is something that one of my colleagues said at Oregon State was, this isn't just a process where you click a button and it's complete. These people actually come in, they pour into you, and they just have, you know, sometimes conversations that are sometimes tough to handle, but it needs to happen because who do you think little kids are looking up to? They're looking up to these athletes, so they need to be the superheroes that others see them to be. And to do that, you know, they need to be able to have these types of conversations and really do something about it based off of their own dichotomy of leadership. Um, So, you know, huddle up um, the NCAA Leadership Institute, uh, the Professional Promise Award, serving as the chair-elect for the Student Athlete Development Committee. All of these experience plus so many more um, you've been able to accomplish that we didn't get to talk about. Um, they've all had some correlation in some component to deal with leadership. So can you please define what being a great leader is to you? Yeah. So for me, being a great leader is not to sound cliche, but it really is when you're, you're when you're being a great leader. That means that you are making some type of influence or some type of empowerment to the, the the people that you're leading, right? So being a great leader means that you have the ability to get others to do certain things that they probably wouldn't be able to do without your leadership. Um, in my in my opinion, um, so that means that for me, I like to empower individuals and influence them to to be at their best and to to stretch themselves and to push them to their their full potential. Right. So from a student athlete standpoint, if it's you know getting them to do a resume or getting them to to step up within within SAC, you know I want to inspire them and influence them through conversations and kind of teaching them and coaching them up on a few things, then I want to empower them to do those things as well, right? So same thing with with our staff at Texas Tech. You know, we have one-on-ones every week. So talking to them about different programs and initiatives and giving them perspectives from my point of view and just playing devil's advocate on what they're thinking and kind of coaching them through different initiatives and and then empowering them to do so, right? So empowering them to create their own programs with these these small guidelines or recommendations slash suggestions that I might have for that, but then empowering them to be creative, be innovative, make it their own, and still stay in alignment with what our goals are as a department is. So um, bottom line is just for me, just really being able to to have a positive influence on others and 
to empower others to, you know, become leaders themselves or help help others um, as much as you've helped them. So I, I know I know there's a there a quote out there that it says you're not a true leader until you create another leader that's created another leader, and that's kind of stuck with me the last year and a half or so because I truly believe that that's the power of leadership in in itself. Couldn't agree more. It's about listing others to the new heights that they might not have seen and uh, really having them become their best while you're also being your best. So that is a great definition, Lamar. Thank you. Um, And, you know, so if you could choose, you know, three traits that a leader needs to be great at, what would they be and why? (laughs) it's uh it's a good one three three traits philosophical you know so yeah yeah definitely i would say one is, is transparency for sure right i think everyone wants transparency but it's in different forms so how you how you're transparent will be different from my transparency right but i think being trans, a transparent leader is definitely a trait that you that you should have have to have. That doesn't mean you have to be uh, direct or cold on how you give feedback or how you say things, but I think you should be very transparent and open with your communication at any point because then that builds uh, trust, which is the other thing I think uh, another trait a leader should have is just really uh, – Ability, the ability to ha- make sure that people trust you. So trust, transparency, and then I would just say being authentic. You know, if, there, if we're just leaving at three, because there's lots more that you could have. But I think those three right there will will help you be an effective leader at that point. Because now being transparency builds trust, and then you being authentic builds trust as well. And then trust leads to having better relationships and. And at the end of the day, that's a that's a big component of leadership is having uh, a certain relationship with the people that you're leading in that aspect. So I would say those three, for sure. So if you had to throw in a bonus one, then you mentioned that uh, there would be a lot of them to pick from. What uh would it be? Vulnerable. I would say vulnerable. So and I would. I say that because I'll give a shout out here, but on Netflix, um, Brene Brown, the, the Call to Courage, is on there, and, and Sable Lee actually introduced it to me. She's our coordinator in our Leadership Academy at Texas Tech. But you really talked about vulnerability and having the courage to to do a lot of things, and 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 how that relates to leadership. So being vulnerable, showing that you're vulnerable, right? Like you, you can be the head of the the, the table and and all those aspects, but making sure that people know that you're still human. And I think it connects with being authentic, but being vulnerable and, and having your staff be vulnerable to take risk, have the courage to, to fail and those pieces there, I think the leader has to definitely show that trait of them being vulnerable themselves. Nobody's perfect, and I think your staff or whoever's following you will respect that a little bit more once you show your vulnerability with them. Can you agree more? Those, those four factors really – go into uh, building a great culture where others are more comfortable at the end of the day to be who they're destined to become. Um, And I know you mentioned SAC. 
And uh, when you were, you know, at, at Eastern Illinois, you were a athlete there and worked with SAC. And then also at Western Illinois, where you said you were a GA, you, you worked with SAC. So SAC has been a part of your career, it seems like, since you really broke into this industry and just college athletics in general. Um, and I know that one of the goals that you had this year was to improve the image of SAC at Texas Tech. Why did you make this one of your primary goals, and why did you want to use the hashtag new era when going after this goal? So so SAC really came up with, with the goals that, that you saw, uh, Jack. So they, they wanted it to increase the image of the student athlete advisory committee, and because there were so many mixed signals and conceptions of what SAC was. Like, is this some type of organization? Is it just the captains? Is What do they do in SAC? Do they just do community service? Do they vote? Do they do the rules? What are those pieces there? So, you know, the coaches, I think, obviously knew the, the foundation of it because a lot of coaches have been around for a while. Um, but a lot of student athletes didn't know what SAC was. So really just creating more of an image on social media obviously is big for this generation here, but also making sure that, you know, we had more reps and we presented ourselves well and we just had this new aurora of educating the student-athlete body first and then the coaches of, like, what SAC was. So that was a big piece that they wanted to make sure that people started to know what SAC was and that, you know, when somebody asks you to go to a SAC meeting, it's not what is SAC. It's like, oh, okay, when is the meeting, right? Um, so we wanted to eliminate the what is SAC and more so getting people in to know what SAC is, even if you're not a part of the the meetings every month. Uh, and then New Era just came from just really just, you know, something I learned in marketing when I was in school of just creating some type of new excitement. So obviously, you know, a slogan is great. Uh, so we just wanted to, to let people know that it was – it was just a, it was a, it was time for a transition with with our SAC program, and this is this is our new era of you know not just SAC but just just how the student athlete experience will continue to be enhanced at Texas Tech. It's, it's, it's been great for a while now. We're just turning up a new uh, another notch, and we wanted to make sure that people knew that this is a new era for the organization. And what new era means that you know comes 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 better and greater things. So uh, they really bought into that, which I which I love, and you know how they use their account to tweet and, and hashtag New Era every time, and it's it's been something that people have seen um, across the nation and and on campus of just the new era of SAC. So now we have it on our wristbands and T-shirts and those things like that. So it, it came it came to life bigger than really I thought about it uh, in the beginning. So yeah, man, just a, just a new era, just a new era. Is how you build a movement, right? So, continuing on with the SAC conversation, because I believe that you are one of the quote unquote experts of SAC just through our own conversations. Um, <clears throat> the next question is uh, what role do you believe SAC has in a institution's student athlete development programming? Yeah, SAC is the, SAC is the core. It's the heartbeat to me. It is it's the foundation of student athlete development. I mean, SAC has been around for over twenty five years. 
right? Like it's been around for a while. I'll say that. And before life skills, before student athlete development, SAC was there, and that was a, a big part of how student athletes got involved in other ways. And I say it's the core and the heartbeat because without everything else, you have SAC, and we always go to SAC for recommendations, for trial programs, for just getting utilizing their voice. And you know, without them, there there really is no foundation of the student athlete voice or experience. So to me, SAC should always be the the center and core of your your student athlete development department. Uh, and really utilizing those exceptional student-athletes that are bought in and, and want to do extracurricular activities within that group and, and utilizing them within your student-athlete development programs as well. So, yeah, I'm just really big. You can't tell me nothing about SAC, man. Like, <laughs> I, just, I, I believe it's the best organization in the world. So I'm, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's the heartbeat like you said, because they have different perspectives on what the athletes themselves want, which can help us as professionals. Um, yeah. And uh, regardless of um, your institution's size, there's different things that SAC can do to really maximize its potential. So how, how do you think that SAC can be maximized at a institution? Because, you know, We've already talked about your story working at three different in- institutions, well, technically four, as a grad assistant being one of those stops. And uh, each of those institutions were different, not just obviously in the institution itself, but in the playing field that uh, they uh, compete in. Say that again. How do you think uh, SAC can be maximized at an institution? regardless of the size of the um, school itself? How can be max- maximized? I think just really no matter what the size is and what the resources are, making sure that you as an administrator pour into those individuals. Right, so when I say pour into those individuals, making sure that you use that group, whether you need some help in revamping maybe your community engagement efforts, maximizing and using that group to help you with that, right? Whether you need to maximize the student after experience or do something with programming and you don't have the staff, maximize and use SAC as your staff as much as you can regardless of the size, right, like, you know, for our banquet, we have a staff that really did a lot of the work. At other institutions, it may not be like that, where they depend on their SAC reps to get stuff done. Um, so I think wherever wherever you're at, maximizing them as individuals will lead to you maximizing SAC, and it will help your institution. So, yes, putting them in leadership positions, but also challenging them to use the skills that they naturally have with hard work and creativity and dedication and then providing them with other skills to get things done, whether that might be setting up events, emailing professors to to come to a faculty reception, items like that, really maximizing 
those student athletes to get things done for the department and maybe some of the things in the institution, but you're also helping them develop and grow as a as a professional during that time frame. I think that's so important. And, uh, you know, now we're just going to wrap up our conversation with, um, you know, some personal questions just about you as the person. So, you know, you're not new to the hashtag phase. Do you guys have a hashtag for stack, but you also have a hashtag for yourself, uh, TTBG, which um, stands for determined to be great. So why is that important to you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said in the beginning earlier, I'm just, I've been competitive, obviously my whole life and being a student athlete. So determined to be great came out of something that I honestly just started saying, like, <laughs> I'm just, I, I just want to be great. And, and that doesn't mean just my professional uh, world of these accomplishments that I've, 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 I've earned, but just talking about just personally being great, right? Making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read a book every month and, and still have failed at that, but I'll get there. Um, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm financially being responsible with my personal finances. I want to make sure that I'm the best friend and, and family member that I can be with, with, with my personal life, um, be the best, you know, spouse or, or boyfriend I can be, um, you know, when that time comes. So that motto is just important to me to have a reminder every day, just I'm determined to be great. And, and great means something different to me. It means something different to you. But my, my grade of those things is just being great in life and, and knowing that um, every day is a new day to, to, to become great. Um, so, yeah, it's important to me. I actually just got a tattoo on my, my forearm with DTBG, so it's, it's it's real for me. It's it's pretty cool when you know I do something or I get a new job, and you know a couple of my my friends will will send me a hashtag like DTBG or, or something like that. So it's really cool to to see people that I'm I'm close with and some of my mentees kind of know about it and and kind of have attached it to themselves as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. And I think that that's so important too because it can be you know, lost that as a professional with, especially in this industry where there's so many different things to do and it seems like there's never enough time to get it done, but it's important that you um, are able to segment out your life into different various roles that your life encompasses and be great at all of them. So um, now uh, with that motto, I think I'm going to start to call you the Michael Jordan of uh student athlete development, uh, especially since you're from Chicago too. So it seems to fit in. Um, <laughs> I can't do, I can't do NJ justice on that. So uh, <laughs> I'm put that on record. <laughs> uh, there's about four final questions that I want to ask. And uh, the first one is if you could teach the athletes that you work with one skill, what would it be and why? Yeah, I would say it would be relationship building. So learning how to build relationships and sustain them would be a big skill for student athletes. And I know we always talk about networking and, and networking and, and networking, and, and that that's great. But I always say, like, networking is, is like the surface. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Relationship building is where you, you get below the surface on that. 
and that's where really things happen, right? I can network with with five ADs at NACTA this June. We're really cool. I met them. I networked it, quote, unquote. But I really, I would want to build a relationship with at least one of those ADs, right? I would want to build a relationship, an authentic relationship with that person. And, you know, I think it's important for student-athletes to be able to have those relationship building skills because they encounter so many people that want the best for them, right? Not everyone wants the best for them, but they encounter more people that want the best for them than I think that don't, in my opinion. So being able to build those relationships with your advisor, with your student-athlete development practitioner, with your teachers, with your teammates, with your coaches, everyone that's really with you during these four to five years, building those relationships and then have it sustained afterwards. And not, not just so that you can want something or call them. For you to just have a, a, a deeper relationship with somebody that, hey, maybe this person is great for advice, right? Maybe this person can really help me out, just walk me through some things and I have a good relationship with them. Or this person can help me with a job because I have a great relationship with them and they know me as the individual and the person and know I can do the job so they can vouch for me in a job situation or another opportunity that has nothing to do with a job. Maybe it's, hey, I have this connection here. I know you've been looking for um, a certain car that you want to buy when you graduated. Here's a connection with a guy I know over here. So I just know that from my experience, relationship building has is, is gotten me where I am today, and I can still call my advisor and text her at East Illinois University, and we can have a conversation for five to ten minutes. And I've really never asked Cindy for anything since I've left, but I've always kept in contact with her, whether it's through Facebook, whether it's through text, whether I'm back in Charleston, Illinois, for whatever reason, texting her and just going by to say hi. And that's just a relationship that, that we built built when I was there and continued to grow. And ever since then, I haven't really asked her for anything, but we have that relationship. And if I did need something, I could call Cindy in a second and say, hey, looking for some guidance and need some help here. Would you be willing to do so? So I think that's really big. I do too. And I think that that's something that is uh, lost per se um, in today's age of technology where the face-to-face interaction or the phone conversations, they aren't happening because people think that social media is a fine substitute for those which isn't they should be combined into your communication style but not just one or the other so that is a phenomenal skill to teach um this one is um i think very very uh funny cool awesome you know whatever type of uh adjective you want to use and that is um if the people closest to you could give you a superpower, what would it be and why? If they gave it to me or if I, I got the pick. If they gave me one. That's an interesting question. If people around me gave me a superpower, just based on them knowing me? Yeah, yeah. So based off of how they know you. Yeah. Um and, you know, what types of things it could be. So it doesn't have to be, you know, like super strength. It could yeah. be always, like, utmost positive or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. 
Definitely. No, I think just picking back and off and off that relationship building question, I think the power to, to connect with people. Um, you know, I, I think I have a diverse group of, of friends <laughs> from all from all types of races, genders, all those pieces there. So my ability just to, to connect with different people would probably be my power. Maybe they said maybe they just would say I can read minds, but I can't read anybody's mind. <laughs> um, but I think that'd be a big power. It's my power to to connect with people and just kind of yeah. being a super connector. Yeah, and I think that comes down to the fact that you know since I've gotten to know you, you have it seems like mastered the skill of emotional intelligence very very well which is something that everybody needs to be able to know. Um, and, you know, reflecting back on the time when you were in college, uh, what advice would you give yourself when when you were running track at Eastern Illinois? Well, run faster so that you could get to regionals. Um, <laughs> never, never got to do that. But, uh, I would say just be yourself. I think a lot of people, and it's cliche, but just be be yourself. And you can't be yourself till you get to know who you are. So really in college, make time to find out, like, who you are and who you want to be. I think for myself, I didn't really – that didn't click to me naturally until I got into grad school and I'm like, yeah, like this is, this is who I want to be. I want to be my mentor. I want to be a leader. I want to be a servant individual to, to others and help people. You know, I found that out in grad school. So I would say, you know, to myself, try to figure it out earlier as, as early as you can. Cause once you, once you know yourself and once you know kind of the person you want to be, whether it's at that time or in the future, everything else just kind of falls in place. Um, and, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to have the opportunity to do that with our student-athletes that we interact with at Texas Tech. And I know a lot of practitioners in similar roles have the opportunity to do that as well. So, again, that's why I just really enjoy everything that, that we do within our, within our area for, for the student-athletes. I couldn't agree more. That is one of the most fulfilling things that we do get to do so now I just want to uh, take some time to acknowledge you you know for all the things that you've been able to accomplish um, at the institutions that you've worked at with the sole focus of empowering the athletes and staff that that and then also just throughout your other obligations and fulfillments within the N4A, working with the NCAA, and then also huddle up and, you know, just being the best version of yourself so that you can be great every single day. It's a, it's a determination, like, like we've spoke about, to be able to do that, and you have done that. And it's not just a thing of, I'm saying that because I like you as a person. It's the facts speak for themselves. The accomplishments are there to back it up. Um, 
So before I ask the final question, uh, where can others connect with you um, on social media? What platforms do you use the most? Um, and just what are your handles? Yeah, Twitter is the, the biggest thing for me. I'm actually taking a break from social media this week, but I'll be back on Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Twitter is big for me at Lamar with two R's underscore lead for Twitter and just, you know, whether you at me or you DM me or vice versa, that's, you know, the best platform to find me as uh, anyone can reach me. You know, Instagram, I'm, I'm a little bit more selective with who I allow to, to follow me just because it's just more of my personal space. And I try to separate those two there. Uh, Facebook is even more, so more of a personal space for me. So, you know, if, if I choose to connect with people on those two, that, that means I'm, I'm I'm comfortable with them, you know, being in my my area, my quote-unquote business. <laughs> um, but, you know, I try to be an open book as much as possible. So, yeah, but I say Twitter is the, is the best place to really interact with me. Uh, I think it's probably awesome. the best to interact with a lot of people, but, yeah, Twitter for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, Lamar does pump out content. Um, very, very well, and the content that, that he pushes out can connect with you in some way so that you can up, up with the athletes that you work with at your own institution or in life. Uh, now, this is the podcast on how to live with virtue, which virtue to me is, you know, my own motto, and that is um, values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. Um, so, uh, what is your own definition of virtue? Uh, that's tough to follow what you said, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you my version of virtue. It's just really just, uh, just high standards, right? Like just the behavior of, holding yourself at a at a higher level of just morale and, and, and standards, right? So, you know, they say patience is a virtue, but I don't think half the people even know what that means. And and, and to be honest, I didn't know what it means for years, and I always used it. Um, but just we talked about it in the beginning of me having more patience, and I hold that as being a high standard of just everything that I do. Right, so being patient is a high standard for me because with patience comes good things as well. So, you know, for me, virtue is just really just holding yourself to a, to a higher standard and exceeding your expectations. Couldn't 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 agree with that more. That is such a great definition. Um, <clears throat> And uh, for those that also want to connect with Lamar, he will be presenting um, this upcoming summer at Enforay on leadership with Maya from Georgetown University and Marissa from Boston. So look forward to seeing him there and present some more content on this concept of what being a leader is all about. And thank you so much, Lamar, for your time. Thanks, Jack. Really, really enjoyed today. 
and you're doing great things yourself. So keep keep on pushing, man, and, and keep on you know highlighting all of us within our industry. I think as we we lean on each other, I think that's how we continue to grow our industry. So definitely appreciate you putting me on your podcast today. got some nuggets of information from this podcast that you can use to improve your leadership initiatives at your respective institution. Be sure to learn more about leadership at Lamar's upcoming presentation that he's a co-presenter on at this year's N4A convention, as well as upcoming episodes with Matt Lombardi from Clemson University and Maureen Tremblay from Georgia Tech. And until next time, continue to live a life with virtue.